Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. What's up, church? How are we? Good. Hey, it's good to see you guys. Missed being with you last week. Um, Maybe you weren't here last week and you're like, I didn't even know you were gone. Well, let me tell you, we, Katie and I were gone. Uh, we spent a weekend actually down in Colorado Springs, uh, really just dedicated a couple days to prayer, to spend, to look back on what God had done in 2020. 2020 has been a crazy year, right? Uh, but it has not been all bad. And it has not been all bad. And I would encourage you, if you've just been having a terrible year, to look back, to spend some time reflecting with the Lord, and he will walk you through how he is still good. He is still faithful and he has still got a plan for us. And so we spent some time looking back and looking forward in prayer and just really was encouraged to know that God is, God is still moving. God is still active. He is still doing things. He is not, he is not done with us yet. Amen, church? And so uh, also really grateful for just the team, for the serve team, the staff, for John uh, preaching last week to give us, that, give us that time and that space. I thought John did an awesome job last week un- unpacking apologetics and what that term is. Yeah, you could clap if you wanted to. It felt like somebody wanted to clap there. And so I'm just going to give you this moment to clap. Um, boy, he's smart, huh? I listened to that message and I was like, I got to listen to that again in half speed. Listen to that thing again. Uh, we're, we're riding front range this week to see if we can get that to count for college credit for you all. So we'll keep you posted on that. Um, no, that was, I thought that was awesome. Definitely a great starting point. There's so many people who want to enter into the faith conversation at an intellectual level. And so I think it's important that we're equipped in that way. Peter calls us to it. And so we should be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in us. Amen, church. Uh, before we jump into week four of You Asked For It this morning, I want to take just a couple minutes to address uh, what's happening with COVID right now. I think a lot of us are aware and paying attention to this. There's a rise going on in cases right now. I don't think we're unaware of that. And I think there's maybe murmurings or questions of like, okay, so what is the church going to do? And, and I'll be honest, I don't know. I don't know what the church is going to do. Whatever decision is made by whatever governing body, the first thing I know we're going to do is we're going to pray. We're going to seek the Lord and we're going to uh, try and be led best we can by him. But what we're really paying attention to, I'll just, I'll give you this bit of what I do know, is that we're really going to be monitoring and closely watching hospitalizations. So right now in Lamar County, there's 29 people hospitalized with COVID. Uh, our ICU capacities have gone, or the, the percentage of the capacity, we, we are utilizing more of our ICU. And so one of the determining factors that we're going to make with COVID is Uh, is us gathering and bringing a bunch of people into this room, is that going to be adding to an already burdened system? That's a big question that we're looking at. And right now the answer is no. And so we're going to continue gathering, but that is one of our main deciding factors. The other deciding factor is, uh, are we all as a staff, are we healthy? Because if a bunch of us go out and we get sick in a week, um, we're not going to find it best to come in here and gather and get all of you sick, right? And so this is just a good reminder for everyone, if you're not feeling well, now is not the time especially to muster through those symptoms, to, to pop some Advil cold and sinus or whatever it is that you like to take and then muscle your way to church. It's just, it's not the season for it. And so if you are under the weather, if you're not feeling well, I don't, I don't care if you have the flu. I don't care if you have strep. I don't care if you have COVID. I don't want what you got. And your neighbor sitting next to you doesn't want what you got. So just stay home. We're doing church at home. We're providing that outlet. We're providing this service and the second service is a little less risk service, okay? So that's our plan. But what is it going to look like in December? What is it going to look like for Christmas Eve? I don't know. 
I don't know, but I know the Lord will lead us and he is good. Amen. The other thing I think we obviously have to talk about is this coming Tuesday is a nationwide election. Nobody cheered for that. I'm just really, can I encourage you that you've made it through your final weekend of political ads? You did it, church. Like you made it this far. And so uh, just, I do, I do want to encourage everyone to get out and vote. I think it's not just something that people have shed their blood for us to do. Uh, Fellow patriots have laid down their lives so that we would have this privilege to get out and vote. Uh, But it's also something God is intricately woven and involved in the establishment, the, the, the people of governments. And so I think we as Christians have to be, we have to be involved in elections. And so I want to encourage you best I can to get out and vote and to get out and vote. And as you're considering uh, candidates, as you're considering justices, as you're considering amendments, whatever it is that is being discussed, propositions, make sure you're looking at what, what does the Bible say that is going to lead to human flourishing? And I'm going to try and cast my vote in whatever way aligns best with that. And it's, you're going to find that, that neither one of the parties are going to align perfectly with your Christian values. And that's because we belong to a future kingdom. Amen. And so uh, do you want to encourage you to vote? I do want to highlight Proposition 115. Proposition 115, a yes vote on 115 would be casting your vote to ban abortions 22 weeks and later. And I think as believers, we have to stand on our belief that life begins at conception, not at birth. I was reflecting this week how it's so, it's so interesting to me that the story of um, Elizabeth being pregnant with John the Baptist, that she's pregnant and she, she comes into an encounter with Mary who's pregnant with Jesus and John the Baptist freaks out so much that it's written down in scripture. So the first, the first person to recognize the Messiah is an unborn baby recognizing another unborn baby. That's, and like, I'm like, Okay, I was talking with Caden about this earlier. He's like, God, you could have included things about dating. You could have included things about social media. You could have included things about how to handle my investments, but you included that in scripture. That life, like God foreknew us. He was knitting us together in our mother's womb. And we have to stand on this this right for life to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And so I just want to remind you of that proposition. I think it's important that we show our voice as a community that stands up for life. But I also want to encourage you, let, let, your, um, let your stance of life go beyond your ballot. And so let's make sure we are intricately involved in, in caring about um, all, all life from womb to tomb. And so let's make sure we are loving and caring for the widows and the orphans and that single mom who is terrified and doesn't know what's going to happen with this baby. There's so many spaces that we need to be getting involved and be showing that we're for life beyond just the vote that we cast every couple of years. Okay? All right. I think I've said all I wanted to say there. Politics for now. Might be more that comes up later. Let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, um, God, as we enter into this message today, I pray that you would fix our eyes on you. That as we come to your word and as we value your word rightly, God, would it, would it press into us today? Would we, would we not be so concerned about what other people think, what other people are caught up in? Would we not be so uh, distracted by the election? I think we really could be distracted by what's happening politically and we could miss what you have for us this morning. And so would you orient and fix our eyes in the right direction this morning, Jesus? It's all about you. This is all for you. We invite your spirit here to move in our hearts and in our minds this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. So week four of You Asked For It. If you're new this morning, You Asked For It has been a series built around your questions. So a couple months back, a month back, we said, hey, just submit what questions you have and we will build a sermon series around the most commonly asked questions. And today what we're going to be looking at is, is this or that, whatever word you really want to enter in that, in that blank space there, is blank a sin? Is this sin? How do we know what sin is when we live in a culture where things that used to be unthinkable when we were kids are now policy? Like so many things have shifted so quickly where that used to never happen before. And now not only does it happen, but it's accepted and it's policy. So, I mean, you, you can think through a lot of different things in there. You can think about uh, the homosexuality conversation. You can think about just even divorce. You can think about the things that used to be allowed in school that aren't allowed in school anymore. I mean, there's so many different categories of what you could place there that culture has said that used to not be okay. And now culture is saying that is okay. So how do we know what is or is not okay? How do we know what is sin? But I, I believe that where I want to take this message today, what I, what I think the, the answer underneath that question really is, because most of us in this room today, I know most of you, we're coming towards the Bible and we're saying, okay, God, I just want to honor your will and your ways for my life. And so we're trying to avoid sin. We know what things are sin. We don't really need to identify what things are, are or are not sin. But what we're coming to is we're going, okay, God, how can you, can you help me love people who are comfortable in their sin? I think that's, the, that's really the how that we're going to do this is far greater than identifying what actually the behavior is or is not sin. But it's how we're going to engage with the people who are caught up in sin. So that's where I want to kind of land today. Romans 1 is where we're going to be at. And so you can open there. Um, Romans 1, starting in verse 18. And it's going to be our home base passage for the morning. We're going to read through verse 32. But I'm going to kind of chunk this out as we go. So verse 18, Romans 1, starts off saying, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God nor give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. And so what Paul's going to hit on right here in Romans 1 is he's going to kind of dismantle this thought that I think sometimes exists about God and about sin and behavior, that, that somehow God is just this angry God waiting for us to sin. He's just waiting for us to mess up so that he can punish us, so that he can pour out his judgment on us. But, but what Paul is showing us here is that our role in sin is not this passive role of victimization. We're not passive victims of sin. We're active rebels in it. That the truth of who God is and how glorious and how awesome and how wonderful he is, is, is easily displayed for us in the world to see. And in us seeing him and seeing his worth, seeing his glory, we choose our own way. And so we are not just like passively victimized by sin. It's not just this thing that got us, that snuck up on us, but rather it's this way of living that we saw was not the right way to go. And we still chose to pursue it anyways. 
And we've chosen God's created things and we've, we've chosen to love and to worship and to, and to have our hearts chase after these creative things rather than the creator himself. And so what is sin simply in this passage is going to show us, it goes on to say in verse 20, 24, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God, the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And so what sin is going to be, what, whatever we want to put in that blank, what is sin? Sin is going to be acting contrary to the heart of God. It's going to be the, anything that goes contrary to, to his will and to the way that he established the word, the world to work. And so this is why it's so imperative. We talked about the very first week of the U.S. Fort series. We looked at what is the Bible? Well, the Bible is not this changing document. And so the things that God calls sin are going to remain sinful. And what Paul points at is that it's not just about the behavior that is sin, but it point, he points past the behavior and he says it's about your heart. That in your heart, we're exchanging the truth about who God is for a lie. And the lie that we're exchanging here is that God has clearly revealed himself. He's clearly revealed his goodness and his kindness and his love. And, and he is not hiding himself from creation. He is clearly evident in the world that we're living in. He's all over the place. His beauty and his nature are just to be seen all over. And we see it and we, and we say, no, he's not worthy of worship. This is. This money is worthy of my love and affection. This, this uh, security, this comfort, whatever I find comfort in, this thing, I love this, this vice, this addiction, whatever it is, we say, I'm going to swap this and I'm going to give my love and I'm going to pour out my affection for this rather than seeing the supreme worth and value of Jesus. And so I'm going to keep reading, but before we read this next passage, I just want to let you know, this was the most commonly asked question for the You Asked For It series. The most commonly asked question for the You Asked For It series was something along the lines of, is homosexuality sin? And Paul's about to address it right here as we read. But before we read it, I just want to acknowledge that as I was preparing this message, was really just stirred to consider that I don't think what our church, what the people who submitted questions about that topic were really looking for. They're not looking for just some bold stance from the Bible. They're not just looking for a church to just stand on this bold word and just kind of, okay, that's, we're just going to call this what it is. But I really think what people are looking for in submitting that question is they're thinking about coworkers that they love. They're thinking about family members that they love. They're thinking about people that they care deeply about who are living a lifestyle and they just want to know how to interact in that space. And so let's just frame this for what it is. This isn't just an answer to a question, but it, I'm hoping what it really is, is it's equipping us to be helpful in real people's lives. All right, so let's jump in it. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. So the Bible is going to be clear in several other passages, but especially in this one, that homosexuality is sin. It's not the way that God has designed it to work. And the reason that I wanted to come to Romans 1 this morning is because what Paul is using here, he's not using a cultural argument to say that this is not okay. He's using a creation argument that this is not okay. 
showing us and proving to us that this, is, that this stance is not rooted in popular opinion, but it's rooted in how God has designed everything to work. That it was contrary to nature that they gave up these natural relations and per- pursued something different. And he's using that thought, tying it back directly to that, that God has clearly revealed himself in the world that he's created and again, it's not, us, it's not us being caught off guard and surprised by what's sinful, but it's us seeing the goodness of God and rebelling against his ways and pursuing something different. But Paul doesn't stop with just that one behavior. So let's keep reading and see how he's about to just nail all of us. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. I love that that one's just slipped in there. (laughs) Disobedient to parents. Murderer, you slanderer. You didn't clean your room. Like just (laughs) foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. That just got every single one of us. Every single one of us has seen the goodness of God, has experienced how good he is. Like, especially as Christians, we've experienced his goodness, and yet we've still made choices to pursue something different, to choose something that he created rather than the creator. And so Paul includes all of us, and he closes the thought, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die they not only do them, but, give, but they give approval to those who practice them. They give approval to those who practice them. And so I just, I want to kind of get it, get it into us this morning that, that th- it's not just some blind thing that happened to us. Oh my gosh, I just accidentally sinned. It's this like John 3 says that, that the light came into the world, but people loved the darkness rather than the light. It's that we have, we have seen who God is. We have seen his ways. His laws have been written on our heart and we have rebelled against them. And so what I, wanted, what I want to show you is that the root of all sin is the thought that you are a better God for your life than God is. So, because it's one thing to talk about the behavior, the, the sin as, as the behavior. Is this thing sinful? Is that thing sinful? It's far, it's far more fruitful for our time together this morning to actually talk about, well, wait, what caused that? What was the seed that was planted before that behavior sprouted? And the root of all sin is us thinking that we are a better God for our life than God is. That we know a better way. That, we, that this thing can give me pleasure. This thing can give me happiness more than God can. And we pursue these things and we do these things. That, the word unrighteousness and the word godlessness that Paul uses at the beginning of this phrase here. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. If you could distill ungodliness down to a theme, it would be the word rebellion. That we're choosing a life without God. The word, the word wickedness is going to be injustice towards other men. All sin is going to be wrapped up in those couple things where we, where we disregard what God has called us to live in and we, and we do things then in, in, with consequences to the people around us. And we break and we live in relationships that are contrary to his heart. And so that is what sin is. And the root of all sin is the thought that you are a better God for your life than God is. That is the lie. When he says in verse 25, 
that because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, most, most um, uh, commentaries that I was reading would say the better article instead of a lie is the word the. So you just cross it right out in your Bible and write the word the there for the lie. The lie that there is something more worthy of your attention, something more worthy of your love, something more worthy of your affection, of your devotion, of your love than Jesus. That is the lie. That there is something out there that's going to give you more pleasure than God himself. There is nothing. There is nothing. And so Paul demonstrates for us that all of us in this list here, he just kind of spouts off a bunch of different sins that, that all manifest, but they all manifest from the same spot that we have, we have chosen a life. We've chosen to rebel from God. And in his wrath, what he's demonstrating in this passage is we should not be thinking of wrath as COVID, this pandemic that's encompassing the, the globe. We shouldn't be thinking about wrath as these forest fires, but God's wrath, what it looks like in this passage is, is non-believers saying, I know that's the way that I should go. I see you, God, but I'm gonna choose this way. And in his wrath, he says, okay, have it then. Go, go about pursuing that way of living because uh, it comes down to this choice that, God, that John talked about last week, that we have this choice to choose him or to choose the world. And God's saying, listen, that's not gonna lead you to life. We're saying, well, it's gonna feel good in this moment. And so I'm gonna do it. And God says, okay, there it is. You can have it. So again, but more important than identifying what is and what is not sin, I think what we have to, and, and, and more important than just identifying that sin specifically that we're talking about in this passage, I think what we need to do is we need to spend some time talking about how do we, how do we engage with people who are comfortable living in their sin? How do we, how do we engage with them? Um, a few weeks back in the Create series, we talked about the four-part gospel. So I think we have a slide for this, Doug, if you can throw it up. But there's a, there's a four-part gospel that we need to be aware of. It's not just a two-part gospel. We talked about how for a long time, the church and, and believers have gotten good at this two-part gospel that focus on the fall and they focus on redemption. As in, you are a sinner and you need to repent. But what we need to do is we need to be aware of the four-part gospel because you are a sinner and you need to repent is true. It's just not the totality of the truth. The whole truth is that God created everything and it was perfect. And in our rebellion, we fell away from him. We pursued other things that were not him, but God sent Jesus to redeem the world. And in my salvation now, I'm not just saved and bounced out of earth. Now I get to participate in his renewal of the world. It's a quick overview of what we talked about a few weeks ago, but I wanna, what I want to spotlight for us this morning is this four-part story according to culture. You see, because... Culture is trying to offer us salvation out of the brokenness of this world. I love that John last week talked about whenever you're going to talk to somebody who doesn't believe what you believe, before you're going to argue with somebody, you really should find some ground that you stand on in common with them. Like find some common ground to talk about. And the common ground that we can all talk about is that the world is broken. The world's broken. Doesn't matter if you're in a church this morning or if you're far, far away from a church, never been in a church, every human being can acknowledge that the world is broken. Been to enough funerals now to realize that most people who step into a funeral don't just go, yeah, I know it happens. But there's a palpable awareness in the room at every funeral I've been to. This is not how it should be. There's this grieving that happens. There's this heartache that happens that says, why? Because the world is broken. Like the other, this is maybe a little lighter. We could all bust on over to Barnes and Noble after the service today. And you know what the largest section of Barnes and Noble is going to be? The self-help section. 
What is that but just this huge exclaim, like exclamation that the world is broken. You're broken. You need help. <laughs> Yourself is broken. And you need to fix your money. You need to fix your health. You need to do this. You just 10 steps to a better you, whatever the book is called. I don't care. Like that self-help section is huge because every single human is aware of the fact that there's something wrong with the world. And, and I'm so like, I'm so painfully aware of that right now, especially in the church where we are, we are, and I should say the whole world right now is, America is so focused on the brokenness of the world and we're putting so much hope in politics to fix it come Tuesday, right? But the, the critique of the church there is that, man, you know what? Yes, Tuesday is important. I've already said my thing. You should go out and you should vote, but, but we shouldn't be so caught up in thinking that renewal comes from Washington, D.C. Renewal comes from you and me participating with the Holy Spirit, getting involved in the people's lives around us. And yet we see people putting so much hope in politics to fix the brokenness of the world, rather than us carrying that responsibility as the church personally, regardless of who sits in the White House, we know the King who sits on the throne, and we're going to follow after him. And we're going to do the things that he's called us to do. And we're going to depend on his Holy Spirit to come and to empower us and to sustain us in the world that we're living in. And so the world is fractured. The world is broken. Everyone's aware of it. And as image bearers of God, every single human being longs to put things back together. We long to fix things. And so culture is going to have a way of fixing things. So let me kind of just walk you through the four-part story of culture that starts with this hyper-romanticized view of yourself. And, And so like, Maybe, maybe some people who believe this have just never had kids, have never had kids or something, but because um, having kids is a really good way of spotlighting the fact that you weren't perfect when you were a kid. You know what I mean? And even as a parent now, you're even more aware of your imperfections now that you have kids. Any other parents in the room feel that way? We're just like, man, I, am, I have a lot more brokenness in me than I realized before I had kids. But, but there's, there's this self that is you before your trauma, and they have, culture has this idea that you before trauma, you were mostly good until somebody else imposed their views and so until this other authority was placed on you, until these other expectations were put on you. And then that creates in you a trauma. And so you hear this language in the world we're living in where, where like, I just need to get back to me. I just, I, look, I just need to take a step away from this relationship so I can just really work on myself. It's trying to take a step back to who they thought they were before their trauma. And then that trauma becomes either your father wound, your trauma becomes somebody um, just having their beliefs put on you as a kid, their expectations put on you. Um, Maybe it was somebody who didn't treat you right. And you have this traumatic experience and that is your fall then. That's the equivalent of our fall. But then what culture is going to say is if you can have this moment of authenticity, then you will be saved. And if you can just finally express and communicate who you really are, it's all an effort to get back to, then you will experience that joy that you had before that thing happened to you. And this is what culture is telling us all the time. This is why you hear things like, I just need to really get up to the mountains for a few days and rediscover who I am. I, I just, like, like, we have this thing that's being sold to us where if you can just be authentically you, with nobody else imposing their authority on you, with nobody else, like, imposing their beliefs or their wishes on you. If you can just be who you really are, then you will be happy. And then but the cultural gospel doesn't stop there. What it says is then, uh, and you really aren't going to experience freedom though until everyone else accepts you for who you are. And so that's why all this policy, that's why, that's why uh, you know, like if you, don't, if you don't accept me for who I really am, then you don't love me. 
if you don't accept me for who I really am, then if you, if you did accept me for who I really am, then you would, you would vote this way. You would do these things, right? This is the air that we're living in right now. And so acceptance is going to try and get everyone else to, to agree with who you think you really are. And, and here's the, the heartbreaking irony of this statement. Doug, do we have that slide up here? The heartbreaking irony of the four-part gospel is that um, the cultural gospel is going to claim freedom and autonomy. Like you will be free if you can finally just express who you really are. If you can have this moment of being authentic and, and finally just being able to come out and be whoever you really are. But then it enslaves itself right away to other people's approval. And that's why there's no rest in this worldview. That's why depression and anxiety, there's, there's no more joy in this worldview. Because as soon as you claim freedom by, by expressing who you really are, you're immediately bound to other people's approval for your freedom. And so it's, it's heartbreaking. And the feedback loops are showing us that we're more anxious and depressed and nervous and worried than maybe ever before. It's because at some level we've bought this line that if we can just return to who we really are, we can be responsible for our own liberation, our own freedom. If we can just break out from other people's views and other people's things being opposed on us. And if we can just go, okay, this is who I really am, then we'll be free. But the moment you do that, you're saying, and now I want all of you to agree with me. You're immediately enslaving yourself back into other people's opinions. And so it's heartbreaking. It's a heartbreaking loop. It is not, it is not the same thing as the four-part story of Jesus, which puts Christ at the center. It depends on Jesus for our freedom. It depends on Jesus for our liberation. It does not rely on ourselves. The, the cultural gospel says you are responsible for your own happiness. You just need to get far enough away from your dad. You just need to get far enough away from that church that said those things. You just need to get far enough away from that institution that did you wrong. And then you can finally be you. But we won't stop at trying to be us until everybody else agrees with us. So it's broken. That, that system is broken. It will not work. But what I think we really have to drill down on here for the next 10 minutes or so is we really have to drill down on this idea of acceptance. So Doug, can we put those other, the four, part, the four parts back up there? That acceptance is this word that culture has, I think it's a theme that's, that's in the church that the culture has hijacked. And now they're saying, you have to accept me for who I am. And I want to like just nuance this a bit because I think if we tease it out, we can better understand how to engage with this community. That the acceptance word, like, like I think we would maybe say, God accepts me as I am. Right? Like we would maybe say that in church, but it's, we're not saying it the same way that culture says you need to accept me the way I am. Because God does not accept me as I am in the sense that he says, oh, you're you're sinful. Man, your 20s, kind of a nightmare, especially early 20s. You were doing some stuff that was shady, right? And when I die and I go and I stand before the Lord one day and I'm asking if I can come into heaven, he's like, man, you know what? 20s were rough. 30s started off good, but then, you know, whatever happened from there. Ah, you know, I guess at the end of the day, you really did do more good than bad. And so, you know what? Come on in. Come on in. That's not grace according to the Bible, Grace, according to the Bible, is God loving me as I am, but accepting me as Jesus is. So do you catch this? Like, like what grace really is, is that he doesn't just passively look over and omit our sinful record, but he pours it out on Christ. He, the, the death that we deserve, the punishment we deserve, was taken by Jesus on the cross. It's stretched out in his nail-pierced hands on the cross. 
And so it's not, he doesn't just turn a blind eye to our sin and just say, I'm just going to accept you as you are. He loves us as we are. But he then, because of Jesus Christ's death on the cross and our faith that we put in him, he then accepts us as Jesus is. He accepts, like he puts Jesus' righteousness on, on us and that's how he accepts us. He loves us before we're ever, before we're ever coming to him. And so, like, as we tease out this acceptance idea is that, like, we, do we accept people as they are? Listen, I, people, for people who are comfortable living in their sin, for people who identify as their sin, for people who are caught living in their sin and they, they like it there, I will love you as you are. Church, we need to love that community as they are but we should not accept the lie that they have bought for their life, that they are a better God for their life than God is. We do not have to accept that they believe that what they're doing is going to lead them to the highest level of happiness, the highest level of joy. We do not have to accept the lie that they've bought for their life, that this is what's going to lead them to peace. We love them as we are, but we confront their worldview by saying, no, this behavior, this vice, this thing, whatever it is that you're turning to that is not God will not sustain you. It is the bread that's going to leave you hungry again at the end of the day. Jesus is the only one who is the bread of life, who is going to give you, who's going to satisfy that deep part of your soul. And so we don't accept the lie that they are a better God for their life than God is. God is the one who's going to pour out immeasurable grace for their life. God is the, he's going to be the one who demonstrates immeasurable power towards them if they come to him. God is the one who has unsearchable riches in Christ. You cannot find that in the created things. You can only find that in the creator. And so we have to be loving. We have to be loving, but we do not have to accept their worldview for being the one that is going to save them. Now, this is where I think the church, too long, we have focused on the two-part gospel. We focused on, well, you're a, sin, you're a sinner, you need to repent. You're a sinner, you need to repent. That's gross. You need to not do that. That's so long how we have focused. We need to get better at telling the full story. That no, God, there are unsearchable riches in Christ. He created things to be different. We rebelled and chose our own way and we fell in the way from him. But he's provided a way to come back in Jesus and if we would submit to, the, to him as Lord of our life, what you're going to see is that his ways, his rules are not bind, like they're not, they're not meant to oppress us. They're meant to lead us into the fullest possible life. So we need to practice telling them that story. We need to practice telling them the full gospel. Now, so I want to, I, I want to emphasize a few practical ways I think we can help. Because again, I don't think this is people submitting questions, asking for, okay, what does the church actually view about this? But I think beneath the question that's being submitted is someone going, how do I love this community? Because I have people in my family. I have people at my work. I have people that I care about, love about, that are caught up in this lifestyle. How do I interact with them? And I have three, three ways. This probably isn't all the ways. I don't think it's meant to be exhaustive, but there's three ways that I think we can engage and love this community well. We can, um, the first one, as we can present the gospel to them. Like, it, look, at some point of the day, we have to confront their worldview and we have to present to them the good news about who Jesus is. And, and we have to say, that way that you're living does not lead to life. It, it might lead to happiness for a moment, but happiness is a cheap emotion that's built on circumstances. What Jesus is going to offer you is a joy that cannot be revoked from your heart. 
Like we have to practice showing them what the gospel is. What this means is that the best thing that you can do for your gay friends, the best thing that you can do for your gay neighbor, your gay family members, is you can fall more in love with Jesus yourself. Like we should not be known first for the behaviors that we're against. We should be known primarily for the God who we are for. And as we fall more in love with him, that gospel, we become more robust in our hearts and and the joy and the peace and the hope that we find in him will be all the more evident for the world to see. So the first thing we have to do is present the gospel. You have to, at some point, present the gospel. The, The warning in Paul's letter here at the very end, verse 32, he says, really, the worst thing you could do is not just give, you not just acknowledge what they're doing, but he says, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. We cannot be approving of the practices. So we have to present the gospel. We have to present the gospel to them. We also have to pray. We also have to pray, sorry. Pray for their eyes to see. Uh, we, We don't just pray blindly that people would be like automatically converted but we pray that the blinders that have been put on people's eyes, that the drift that has taken place in their heart, that they would eventually see that it's not leading them anywhere. We have to pray that that they would reach the end of their futile thinking and they would see this isn't working. I need to try something different. And we need to be praying for people in this community that, that God would remove the spiritual blindness that is on their mind so that they could see things clearly. We need to be actively praying for them. And the last thing that we need to do is we have to practice faithful presence. Practice faithful presence. You know what, you know what your friends in this community do not need? They do not need this sermon sent to them to have another preacher calling their lifestyle sinful. That's not what they need. What they need is a friend, you, a family member, you, who will just keep showing up in their life. So if they go, man, you know what? They disagree with me, but they just keep showing up. They're there in the high highs. They're there at the low lows. They're always present in my life. And they, they love me. I can tell that they love me. I can tell that they care for me. Like how, how wrong is it that right now, according to culture, with this narrative, the world is seen, more, the world is seen as more loving than the church is? And I think it's, it's an indictment on us that we focused too heavily on the sin and repentance side of the story. And we failed to enter into this whole space and just go, hey, listen, I don't agree with your worldview. I, I'm not going to accept the lie that you've bought that you're a better God for your life than you are, but I will keep loving you. I will keep showing up no matter how much I disagree with how you're living. I will be present in your life. And that doesn't mean that every time you show up at dinner, that doesn't mean that every time you roll up and have coffee with them, that you got a new book or you got a new sermon, or you got a new thing that you're showing them. You present the gospel, you make sure they know where you stand, you pray like crazy for them, but then you just keep showing up. You just keep showing up and you just keep on loving on this community. Church, would you go ahead and stand as I'm gonna pray for us this morning? What's interesting about this list is it's not really just for one community, is it? It's for everybody who doesn't know Jesus. So before we just think that this is all focused towards just one demographic, I think we have to realize that, that plan, those three steps, present the gospel, pray, and practice faithful presence, that's our, that's our call for evangelism. Anybody who doesn't know Jesus, that's how we're going to operate. Anyone who hasn't tasted and seen, experienced personally how good the Lord is, that's how I'm going to walk through it. Doesn't matter what orientation you are, doesn't matter what, what lifestyle you're caught in. 
I wanna present the gospel to you. I wanna show you the, the riches that I found in Christ. And I wanna, I'm gonna pray for you that God, would, that God would remove the blinders so that you might see him clearly. And I'm just gonna keep showing up in your life. You and I might not agree on everything. We might not vote the same way. We might not do things the same way, but I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna keep showing up. So Jesus, we just ask that you would help us do this. God, this, this, is, uh, this is not possible to relay to somebody else if we're not filled with your love first and foremost. And so I pray that before we get quick to point fingers at other people, before we get quick to call out other people's behavior as sin, would we first just make sure we're spending time at your feet, falling more and more in love with you? Would we be a people who know, who are known for being for Jesus and not against certain things? Would we primarily be known for our captivation, our awe, our wonder, our love for who you are and what you've done in our lives first? God, I pray that as the church in this coming week, that you would fill us up with boldness, that whether we feel like it's a, it's a crushing defeat Wednesday morning or a triumphant victory on Wednesday morning, God, would you remind us that it's neither. You have already won. You've already won. You are already sitting on your throne. And no matter where policy goes in our nation, now, maybe more than ever in our lifetime, God, is the time for the church to rise up. And so God, would you fill us up with strength? Would you fill us up with your Holy Spirit? Would you increase a thirst and a desperation in our hearts for you, Lord? We pray for more of you in your church in these coming weeks to come, Lord. Uh, we just ask and we cry out for you to fill us up, fill us up with all boldness, fill us up with all courage. Help us to stand out and look differently. Pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, church. Um, just a quick announcement before you guys go. I was talking with Caden, John, pre-service. We had talked about how we could maybe do a, a night of worship, uh, possibly before Tuesday, and just determined we really don't have the, the, the means or the calendar space to do it. What we are gonna do, and just wanna invite anyone who wants to come, is Caden's uh, just gonna be in here on the piano worshiping from noon to two on Tuesday. So this Tuesday, we're just gonna have prayer and worship in here. It's not gonna be crazy not going to be a full band. It's just going to be us crying out for the Lord. So if you want to come, you have some space in your lunch hour, pop on over. If you want to be here for part of it, for all of it, whatever, but we're going to be praying, worshiping from noon to two here on Tuesday. All right. All right. God bless you guys. We love you. We'll see you next week.